readings from Soundography, a crash course in music, one band at a time. I'm Brian Ibbett. And I am a cat-faced star child demon man. Oh, man. And a fox, too. I'll say that. Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah, that, uh, and you're, you're listening to Soundography, a crash course in music, one band at a time. And I already said that part because that's part of the introduction. <laughs> well, so no, but it's good marketing. And that's if we didn't learn anything from this last couple of weeks, it's good marketing exactly. is important. It's good marketing. Yes, exactly. You can you can do the same old thing over and over as long as you've got some good marketing behind it. <laughs> we need to start wearing costumes then, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think uh it's it's just for us to just kind of be the blue man group, the, the facial hair <laughs> blue man group. Uh listen, if you have not figured it out yet. We're going to be talking about the band Kiss today and uh, a band that is just as much about stage presence and marketing as the music. I think that they are a band that figured out very early on what they wanted to be and worked. it worked really, really well for them. I think the, the kind of the gimmick of the makeup and the costumes and the stage presence and then also the marketing is kind of the the Kiss foundation. The the studio albums, the music obviously needs something to be able to perform in concert, and that was that's always, of course, that's well and good. But they were really they were a band that apparently you had to see live, or at least see um, live videos over here, the live albums to to really appreciate. Because I'll say this: that actually a live album, uh, Kiss Alive, was the uh, was kind of like a. Okay, I think I'm starting to get a little bit of this. Still not for me, but but I'm getting it. I'm kind of I feel the same way you do. I think that seeing them live does help their argument that there is something to them. They're also, I mean, right from the beginning when they signed their first contract, they actually hand wrote in that they got to keep their masters and no one batted an eye. Oh, and because really? they own all their wow. masters, they they mm-hmm. it's a really good business move. And that really had set them up for success just because they own their stuff. Wow. That's a, that's really forward thinking for 1975, 1974, a rock band, you know, to be able to say that. And for the label to say, yeah, okay, that's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. It, It's kind of like when they said to George Lucas, yeah, you can have the toy rights. Who cares? Right. Exactly. It's something that you that would be absolutely unheard of today. Like that's something that no... Uh, it's, it's, it's one of the reasons that the writer's strike is going on because of the likenesses and stuff like that. The artists want to be able to keep their own. The studios say, no way. We want to be able to, you know, scan you and use you in perpetuity, at least for extras and things like that. I learned that little fact from Gene Simmons' book, Kiss and Makeup, which we're not <laughs> going to talk about, but I will say that it's worth it. It's worth the read. Is it? Okay. Yeah. I feel like uh, of any of the four of them, He's probably got the best story to tell. Probably. In, you know, in I have not read any of the other members' books, but I know they have them. That's a silly question. I was going to ask you, do yeah. the other members have books? Oh, okay. Yes, they do. They do. I don't know if all of them okay. do, but many of them do. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jeans was definitely, I mean, I, I gave it to my brother-in-law as a birthday gift or a Christmas gift. And then he said it was really good. So I got borrowed it and read it. Well, let's uh, let's jump right into this. Let's uh, enough enough setup. Let's jump right in and talk about Kiss. They found you already said the disclaimer, so obviously that. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, one more time. There's a ton of yeah. ton of stuff that's there in the world of mm-hmm. Kiss. Mm-hmm. We are trying to stick mostly with the music and the movie or two that has to come up. Sure, but you know the occasional mention of Kiss coffins 
or kiss mini golf might come up. Just be warned. Or kiss condoms. I mean, like they said, from birth to death, they've got you covered. <laughs> That's right. Well, wait, what do condoms have to do with death? Never mind. I don't want to know. <laughs> Kiss found its start in a band called Wicked Lester with Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. There was one album recorded, but it was shelved by the label. They met Peter Chris in 1972, and by early 1973, they had brought Ace Freely in. Kiss was picked as the name, and they started experimenting with their image. They also decided to work on a harder version of the music that they were playing with Wicked Lester. Ace uh, was the one who created the now iconic logo for KISS. Simmons and Stanley are both of Jewish descent and have denied any ties to the SS logo from the Nazi soldiers. So in Germany, since 1979, all KISS merchandise has a different design where the S's look more like backward Z's. Yeah, even the, I do have the action figures, the four action figures. And here's, here's, a, here's a stipulation. They have hair. Actual hair as opposed to molded plastic that's in the shape of hair. Mm-hmm. Does that make them dolls or are they still so. action figures? I think they probably are dolls at that point. So do you do your, they don't have removable clothes though? Okay, but do your kiss figures hang out with your spice girl figures? No, because the spice girl figures are mint in box and uh uh and they would shun. They're actually they're actually a lot taller too than uh <laughs> by the way, let's let's not even mince words. The spice girls action figures are freaking dolls. Those are dolls. <laughs> They uh, presumably have removable clothes and 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 definitely have hair, but uh, they're mint in package, so I'm not even gonna. So when take kiss when you put the kiss figures in front of the boxes, it's more like some kind of weird peep show. Kind of is, yeah. It's like they're in Amsterdam, like in the red light, <laughs> the spice red light district, <laughs> the red spice district. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it's like. <laughs> Uh, in the late 70s and early 80s, there was a lot of talk about what KISS meant or did not mean. And in the end, it means KISS. It's not keep in Satan's service. Kids and knights in Satan's service. That was what I knights heard. In knights in Satan's Satan service. That's what it was, yeah. yeah. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of the way they wrote their music. It is kind of the way they wrote their music. It really is, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> okay, we're going to start getting emails. That's all right. We'll take them. Uh, we... We may not have enjoyed Kiss as much as you, the listener, enjoy Kiss, but we respect your right to enjoy it, and we will never tell you that what you like is wrong. Okay? I'll just say that And I will also say, any band that has lasted as long as they have, churning out music as as consistently as they have, they've got something right. Sure. Yeah. That's a good, that's absolutely a uh, fair point. Uh, Their first show uh, was on January 30th, 1973 for... 10 people. The band wore the makeup, but the iconic design wasn't locked in until March of that year. There was just, just a little over twice as many people in the audience as there were on stage. <laughs> in March of 1973, they recorded a five-song demo with Eddie Kramer. By November of 1973, they had been signed to Casablanca Records. And later that year in December, they were opening for Blue Oyster Cult when Gene set his hair on fire while doing his fire-breathing stunt. I wonder how many times that happened throughout his career, like accident, accidental uh, follicle ignition. There is no shortage of hairspray going on on that stage, especially, I would say, more so with Paul Stanley and that big, uh, big, uh, like, not really a afro. What is that? Uh, like That's a like bouffant? A big wall of hair. Yeah. Well, bouffant is more, more top, right? Like a B-52s? That's like true. A, so it's a beehive? Yeah, or well, I guess those are beehive. What, bouffant? What is, I guess 
Hmm. Okay. Well, we, we've wandered in the weeds on Paul's hair. Let's just say there's a lot of it. Sure. And it probably sure. adds okay. three to five inches of height to him. Uh, let's see. A bouffant is a type of puffy, rounded hairstyle characterized by hair raised high on the head and usually covering the ears or hanging down on the sides. So that's exactly um, what that is. I think I might have been right. Kind of, but if uh, this, uh, <laughs> there's some, you know, there are some bouffants on this page that are that it's just all about the vertical and not about the the sides. <laughs> and most of these bouffants are like that. But um, I got it. There's one right here that I'm sure, uh, obviously listeners won't see this unless you want to put in the Patreon, but, um, that is, uh, that that's the, what Mr. Burns had in the Treehouse of horror where he was Dracula. Yes. It, oh my gosh. It sure is. It looks like, uh, actually it looks like the one that Dracula had in Dracula. <laughs> the, uh, the Gary Oldman Dracula. Yeah. The Gary the Gary, Oldman, yeah. yeah. Or it kind of looks like a butt. The Bill and Ted Dracula. It's a butt font. Anyway. <laughs> Their first album was called Kiss, 1974. Uh, it was heavily promoted by both the label and the band through the summer of 1974. Listen, this period of time wasn't glamorous, and it was a ton of work for them to do all that promotion. Their first TV appearance, uh, they performed Nothing to Lose, Firehouse, and Black Diamond. Which is their, their ode to skiing. Is it? It's a very difficult song I hear. Yeah. It's the hardest of the songs. Yes, that's what I hear. I think of it. Surprising it's not Strutter or, you know, one of the other songs that became big from that album. Uh, this first album didn't sell well, despite all of the touring and promotion. They followed it up uh, that same year with Hotter Than Hell. This was recorded on a break on the tour in Los Angeles. The only single was Let Me Go Rock and Roll. Let Me Go Rock and Roll. Let Me Go Rock and Roll. I, I just, I'm trying to figure out what the... Um, are they telling rock and roll to let them go or are they telling somebody else to let them go so they can rock and roll? According to like I've always heard it, it is always them saying, let me go. I have to go rock and roll. Okay. Then why is there a comma? It sounds crazy. No, that could have been just me, but it could have been the title. I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> remember, I type these at a, at a pace which leads to typos. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it, it does have the comma and... In the song, it looks like they actually never say, let me go rock and roll. The chorus is just, let me go, let me go. Um, and then, baby wants a show. Baby, won't you tell me? Baby, rock and roll. So, still in first person. Every, every, everything from uh, everywhere. <laughs> I was going to say for the first few albums, but it really did continue all the way through. It's all, uh, it's all written from their point of view, their own uh, first person perspective. So you've heard of the male gaze, but this is the kiss gaze. Yes. Right. Just the, exactly. Yep. Uh, this album just barely reached a hundred uh, on the album charts, position 100 on the album charts. 
1975 saw Dressed to Kill. This one had a much brighter, cleaner pop sound, and it did sell better than the last album. It also contained what would become their signature song, Rock and Roll All Night and party every day. Even though the album sales had not been good, the band was gaining a reputation for the live show. There was blood spitting, fire breathing, guitars bursting into flames, drums floating, smashing guitars, pyro, and sparks. Casablanca and Kiss were almost finished, but both were saved with a double live album. Kiss Alive, 1975. This album was compiled from shows in New Jersey and Detroit. The album uh, went gold and had a top 40 single in the live version of Rock and Roll. There was a little studio magic with crowd noise added and overdubs so that it could uh, clean up some sections of the, the recording. This release saved the band and the label. They followed up with 1976's Destroyer. This was their first album with Bob Ezrin, who had been also working with Alice Cooper and Pink Floyd, by the way. Uh, this was a very ambitious album. They used orchestras and choirs and other various effects. I mean, this this was not a low-budget affair. And I would I would say that this is their... This is their best album, start to finish. This is like the, maybe maybe um, maybe best isn't the word, but the most representative of Kiss's work is, uh, I think, just I, I would agree. And for people listening, get the one before they remaster. Oh, yeah. The, the, remaster, the remaster is not good. Yeah, there's a couple others. There's like Destroyer Resurrected, which maybe is, maybe brings back the sound from the original maybe. mix? Yeah, maybe. Oh, um, I'm not sure. But uh, Ken Kelly did the artwork on the front cover, and he's best known for his work on uh, Conan and Tarzan comics. Uh, Beth, the song, gained traction with radio and actually caused a sales rebound after sales had slowed. You feel so empty That our house just ain't a home I'm somewhere else and Beth was the B-side of Detroit Rock City. And was the first dance of uh, the, the me and the girl uh, that I dated for a really long time in, uh, in high school. <laughs> Our first dance was to Beth and we hooked up, we made, uh, hooked up at a um, dance like a 24-hour locked us in a, uh, a little, it was called Funplex, and they had roller skating, bowling, laser tag, mini golf, and arcade machines. And basically what they did is you paid a certain price and you got, you basically had access to everything for 24 hours, but they locked the doors. So, you know, kids couldn't kind of, kids who were dropped off by their parents couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> wander off leave wander off and do something else and so uh yeah that's where uh kim and i had our first dance and uh the rest and that whole relationship was history <laughs> uh the song beth ended up hitting number seven and it was re-released with the a and b sides reversed later so all of a sudden they decided beth was the single and detroit Rock city was the was the b side uh 1976 saw the release of rock and roll all over um, glad that one doesn't have a, a comma. 
Rock and roll all over. Or <laughs> or have the word me at the end of it. Oh, rock and roll all over me? Well, there is dance all over your face. Yeah, which, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Peter Chris recorded the drums for this album in a bathroom to get the sound that he wanted. And Ace didn't get a writing credit on this album at all. That's too bad. Uh, three of the songs were reworks of old Gene Simmons demos. Hard Luck Woman was originally uh, written to pitch to Rod Stewart and it reached number 11 on the Billboard Hot 2, or I'm sorry, Top 200. You know, we didn't talk about, when we talked about Destroyer, we didn't talk about the song Great Expectations, which oh, is yeah. monumental in its lyric writing. <laughs> look at the lyrics of this thing. But the wild thing was when I, you know, it's 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 super, it's not even a double entendre. It's a very much a single entendre. It's about, you know, hey, look at what I'm doing up on stage. Imagine I'm doing that to you. My fingers on the guitar, what I'm doing, you know, singing in the microphone and stuff. And uh, apparently Randy Newman, yes, Disney mainstay Randy Newman liked that song so much. He almost covered it on one of his albums, decided not to, but then he he suggested to uh, Glenn Fry and Don Henley of the Eagles that they do a cover of the song. And they didn't, did they? They did not. I'm, I, I wish. I wish they would have. Uh, I imagine we could probably use AI to hear what both of those versions would have sounded like had they ever been recorded. 1977 saw the release of Love Gun. This became, uh, became the band's first top five album. And Casablanca set a million copies on the day of release. That certified it as platinum. Ace had his first appearance as a vocalist on this album. So this was the first time that an album had vocal performances from all four members of the band. That's cool. And that um, that Ace song, we're going to talk about a little bit later. Also, Peter Chris didn't appear on every song. Uh, Anton Fig was brought in to, uh, to cover him, and he would later be part of David Letterman's uh, Most Dangerous Band. But before he did that, he also played... Uh, on every song, but one on the Dynasty album, too. Uh, interesting. Okay. Uh, Christine 16, there's a problematic song, and Love Gun were released as singles. Plastercaster is about Cynthia Plastercaster, a famous groupie that was known for doing plaster casts of uh, rock musicians' instruments. Let's just say, <laughs> and again, not a not at all subtle in the in the lyrics of that song. I mean, no. basically, you know, it says you want to be able to see my love forevermore, and it's just uh, and just replace the word love with the word Junk. penis, and you're just fine. Junk, Junk. okay. All right, you could decide whether or not you want to clean that off. <laughs> we, I'll just leave them both. That way we can see that we're both trying. Sure, sure. <laughs> this is Casey Kasem. I'm not going to say the word penis. Uh, 1977 also saw the release of Alive 2. This live album pulled tracks from the last three albums. It was produced by Eddie Kramer, and this is their best-selling album, being the first to be certified double platinum. This was recorded at the Budokan Hall in Japan. And speaking of Budokan... They sold out five nights in a row there, beating the Beatles. Wow. And uh, 
And Cheap Trick was about to record their live album there too, right? Uh, Cheap I Trick so. live at yeah. was 78. Maybe that's what we do for his genre show sometime is all the live albums recorded at the Budokan. <laughs> I'm, only half be I'm only half I know, kidding. I know. I, I wonder if we could, how many we could find. That'd be really interesting to do Budokan, uh, Budokan albums. Hmm. The first compilation album was released in 1978, Double Platinum. It contained many remixes of songs, including uh, Strutter 1978, which also had a disco flavor to it. Uh, it was about this time that the Kiss Army took hold of the world in a big, big way, and their merch started becoming a major source of income. And that's the thing yeah. we're trying not to anger is the Kiss Army, because they range in ages from like, I don't know, 65 to 12. <laughs> Do you think there's still Kiss Army members that young? I think Kiss is still like getting kids I think, new discovering. I think uh, there are people discovering Kiss for the first time at that at that at that age, though. Yeah, well, maybe I think yeah, so. Right. they especially if their parents or grandparents are really into Kiss. Then, so I think uh, this is a great place to bring this up. I actually think that Generation X may as well be called the Kiss Generation because I don't know anyone in our generation that doesn't know at least one Kiss song from beginning to end. Oh sure, sure, but I mean you could say that about. Led Zeppelin or the Beatles or the Rolling Stones too, couldn't you? I, I, but maybe. I guess the I only, think only per, I think the other person that might be would be competing for Generation X's would be Michael Jackson. Mm. <laughs> yeah, maybe. All right. In 1978, you saw the release of the solo albums. Each member of the band released a solo album. They released simultaneously, and each album counted for half an album towards their contracts. Uh, these were recorded to help ease some tensions in the band. And if you've seen them, they are, I don't think they have any words on the cover. It's just their four faces. But uh, but uh, New York Groove came out on this album, a huge, uh, a huge track for uh, Ace Freely. Uh, Gene Simmons included a cover of When You Wish Upon a Star, which is actually surprisingly good. I almost included it in my list. Imagine you in full costume singing that, and what a yeah. dichotomy when that you looks. Wish upon a star. Blows yeah. fire, you know, at one point. Yeah, exactly. Uh, nobody else from the band appeared on the other solo efforts, so they were truly solo efforts. Chris's had an R&B feel. Gene covered the Disney tune that we just talked about. He also had some of the biggest names backing him up, like Joe Perry, Rick Nelson, Helen Reddy, and more. Even despite all that, though, Ace Frehley's album has gone on to be the biggest seller of the four. Which that keeps uh, Gene up at nights. Oh, God, it has to. It has to infuriate him. And I'm sure it's because of the whole, it's, it's because of that song, New York Groove. That was the, yeah. the only hit that really came from that. In 1978, they worked with Hanna-Barbera to make what they saw as Hard Day's Night meets Star Wars, a movie called Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. And it was released in theaters under the title Attack of the Phantoms, which... Makes less sense than the other title. <laughs> it does. Neither neither of them are great. And um, it's still uh, not the worst movie to ever come out with the word phantom in the title. Which one are you saying is the fan- worst <laughs> phantom? 
<laughs> Star Wars, The Phantom. Oh, Menace. okay. I thought you were going to tell me to say the Billy Zane film, The Phantom, which isn't great. Oh, no. But I love no, that movie. No, it's not great either. That's, you know what? They're, they're all kind of tied for last place, really. <laughs> However, I will say the Billy Zane film, The Phantom, does have one of my favorite stunts in film history. Oh, really? Yeah. It's Remind where me he, what it is, because we, we've seen it. But He yeah. jumps from a pontoon of a plane onto a horse running at full gallop. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And that stunt was done practically. That someone actually jumped so from some the- some stuntman had to do that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Interesting. All right. 1979 saw the release of the album Dynasty. Uh, I Was Made for Loving You was their biggest hit up to that date. Birth of Kisco was here. What's Kisco? Kiss meets Disco. Kisco. Oh, 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 gotcha. Okay. I, I did not pick that up. But I could yes, tell because you album, asked the question. I know. Well, I will also say, though, that the, the album cover looks like they were actually on the set of Dynasty when they took it, the picture. <laughs> yeah. So many to- sequins and, pa- and shoulder pads. Yeah, really, really was. Again, Anton Fig uh, did almost all of the drumming because uh, Peter Chris was recovering from a car accident. Ace sang three songs on the album. Simmons only sang two. Again, probably keeping him up at nights. Easily, yeah. By the end of the Dynasty tour, tensions with Chris were at an all-time high. In 1980, they released Unmasked. Anton Fig played all the drums on this album, uncredited because, uh, well, there was no Peter Chris on this one. Uh, he was on the cover of the album, though. This was a slicker, poppier sound. And this was the first non-platinum album for them since Dress to Kill. After the album was released, Chris left the band and Anton Fig was fired by Gene and Paul. After a search, they finally landed on Eric Carr, who joined the band. Anton also found a home with Paul Schaefer's band on Letterman. And uh, oh. Tico Torres, who also they, they also looked at, ended up with Bon Jovi. Oh, interesting. And and see, uh, there's this proof here that I don't look ahead at the notes nope. and see that you already were going to talk about the no. world's most dangerous band. But, and uh, I'm totally fine with that because it just exercises just how smart you are. Ah, stop it. Stop <laughs> you. Eric Carr took the ever so menacing Fox persona. <laughs> His makeup was so pretty. I mean, it wasn't. Oh, my God. <laughs> It's so bad. It just looks like you've got the demon, ooh, and the star man, and the spaceman, and the geometric pattern. <laughs> it's just two <laughs> triangles. I mean, not like the cat was, it wasn't even a tiger. It was like a cat with two big spotted eyes, yeah. like a, a alley cat. Yeah. Eric Carr was, was introduced on an episode of the TV show, Kids Are People Too. Okay, so here's the thing. is I vividly remember this. I remember watching this. I remember this, this show, but I don't remember this episode. I remember this episode. I It's probably <laughs> only, only the few I ever watched because I was at my grandmother's house in South Carolina and I was standing in the living room watching, in the, I guess the den, and watched this episode and didn't move during their performance at all. I was transfixed because yeah. the drums smoked and lifted and they were all in costume and then they were interviewed afterwards and they seemed like they were super cool and... It was it was a great introduction to a band for a certain group, like a group of third and fourth graders. 
Yeah. Who probably, you know, it's a great audience for them because they probably don't get the the uh, inferences to uh, sex in their songs and um uh but really are are just transfixed by the the makeup and the costumes and the and the like you said the stage presence the larger yeah. than life pres- presentation i mean yeah for sure in fourth grade a love gun is just your favorite pistol <laughs> right it's oh this is my love gun <laughs> there are many like it but this one is mine <laughs> Oh boy. All right. 1981. <laughs> saw the release of Music from the Elder. This is, uh, you know, the band experimenting a little bit. They went back to work with Bob Ezrin for a concept album. It featured horns, strings, harps, and synths. This was presented the soundtrack to a movie that was never made. The Oath and A World Without Heroes were released as singles. Without a Where you don't know what you're after Or if something's after you And you don't know why you don't know And the fan reaction to this was not, they weren't happy. This was harsh fan reaction. And uh, it's, 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 boy, the fans hate this album. This, um... Probably by and large, the, the the fan base for Kiss is not the concept album fan base, or maybe it's just they just don't want a fan uh, a concept album from um, a group that they've come to know what to expect from. In this uh, I don't know. I, there's something to this album. It's it's I kind of enjoyed it. Yeah. So my uh, brother-in-law actually has the best way of describing this. He says it's a great album. It's just not a great Kiss album. If anybody else had done this, mm-hmm. it would be probably on one of their top five albums of all time for any other band. But as yeah. it's with Kiss and with Kiss fans and the Kiss expectations, it was a dud because that it isn't what Kiss is. None of this, none mm-hmm. of this album is what Kiss is. Ace uh, excused himself from uh, participation in the creation of this album. Uh, then they released another greatest hits album called Killers. And they followed that up with 1982's Creatures of the Night. Although he wasn't on the album, Ace uh, appeared on the cover of this one. And this was their heaviest album yet. Featured a new guitarist, Vinnie Vincent. Another guitar player was on the album, Bruce Kulick, who would later join the band. And Vinnie Vincent had an onk on his head. An onk? Yeah. They, like the, the Egyptian symbol of life? That's what he had on his face for the paint. Uh, That's weird. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. He was the, uh, the, the whiz or the Egyptian warrior. And Vinny didn't mesh well with the band right from the beginning. And I don't yeah. think he, he didn't last very long. I did buy one of his solo albums in the late 80s. And it had some really, really good stuff on it. It's called the Vinny Vincent Invasion was the group. And mm. there are some stuff on it that was fantastic. And then others of it mm. was kind of garbage. So it was really hit and miss. Oh, bummer. Well, at least he found, at least he landed on his feet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Love It Loud, Killer, and Creatures of the Night were the singles from this album. Nineteen eighty three saw the release of Lick It Up. Vincent was on the album cover and had a writing credit. Uh, and after the tour, Vinny was fired and Mark St. John was hired. Lick it up and all hell's breaking loose. 
were released as singles from this album. And Lick It Up is another one of those really, really tough to decipher lyrical masterpieces. Yeah, I really don't know what they're trying to say here. Uh, <laughs> thinking it was time to change. Uh, so on September 18th, 1960, I'm sorry, 1983, they appeared on MTV without makeup as part of the promotion for Lick It Up. Uh, they followed that up with 1984's Animal Eyes. This album was another in the line of hits, largely due to MTV's backing of the song Heavens on Fire. It's a really good song. Uh, single, so I couldn't put it on my playlist. Mark St. John developed reactive arthritis to Bruce Kulick. Oh, so Bruce Kulick. <laughs> like, oh my God, I've got arthritis because of that guy. Reactive arthritis. So Bruce Kulick was brought back in. The lineup at this point was Simmons, Stanley, Kulick, and Carr. This proved to be the most stable since the band was formed. They released a series of multi-platinum albums over the next few years. We'll talk about those. Starting with 1985's Asylum. Tears Are Falling was the only single released from this album. Yes, but it was a very popular single. It was it was in the time of the M- Dial MTV Top 10 and like it had the mainstays of let's see, Rock Me Amadeus was always there. Uh, You're in Love by Rat, Home Sweet Home by Motley Crue, uh, uh, Tears Are Falling was always in there. It, it was just this bastion of you know this pop metal before it became really more hair metal, but the 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 nascent days of that. And I used to come home from school and always want to call in, but never did. And then all, all these songs that were, you know, mainstays of the mid eighties were on TV every afternoon. Yeah. I, I remember watching that and, and oh, uh, Dokken, uh in my dreams yeah. by Dokken. Yeah. That was another one that was uh, frequently on there. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you get the power of uh, the youth with phones um, and an 800 number, uh, that's when you see your, your real singles, they may not be the buying public, but they're the listening public. Yeah. Videos were made for the singles Who Wants to Be Lonely and Uh All Night as well. Uh, another another song that I just can't figure out what they're talking about. Work hard all day and I want to come home and uh all night. I guess it's it wants to shovel you shovel dirt. Yeah, exactly. Mow the do back breaking work. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Re roof. <laughs> do you do you, <laughs> you have sporadic grunts when you mow the lawn? Like, uh, that was a tough blade of grass. Uh, that was no, oh, it's usually it's usually we have a lot of holes from critters in our yard. Oh <laughs> usually I say that when I roll my ankle on some hole in the yard. Oh god, yeah, sure. I probably say when I have to start the mower. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Nineteen eighty seven saw the release of Crazy Nights. This uh, 
this album uses a lot of pop metal keyboards and synths. I would say that this is their... Uh, oh, we could do that Def Leppard kind of sound. Yes. Uh, Crazy Nights, Reason to Live, and Turn on the Night were used to sing They do that thing where it's like the the gated drums, the high Def Leppard backing vocals, and yeah, this um, was this was definitely their their answer to uh, Pyromania and Adrenalize. Yeah. In 1988, another compilation was released: Smashes, Thrashes, and Hits. And this is the one I owned when I was in college. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Single disc or double disc? It was a single. It was a cassette, single. by the way. Don't. Oh, single cassette. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, 1989 saw Hot in the Shade. This contained the hit single, a ballad called Forever. Written by none other than Michael Bolton. In 1991, Carr found out he had a tumor on his heart. It was removed but more soon followed. After some more medical issues, he passed away at the age of 41 in November of 1991. And uh, Eric Singer joined in his place. For a while, Eric Singer was doing double duty. He was on tour with Alice Cooper and he was on tour with Kiss. And then when they offered him full-time Kiss, he went to Alice Cooper and was like, dude, you're an idiot for not taking that job. So have fun. We learned about that in that Hired Gun movie we watched. That's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. Did um, Were they back to doing makeup at this point? Mm, no, they did not start makeup again until Carnival of Souls, I think. Oh, wow. So that long. Okay. I think. I think I put it in the notes. Fair enough. I base it, I, I purely base it on album covers, right? Like yeah. if they're, if they've got makeup on the album cover, then they're technically doing Yeah, these doing actually, let's see. Hot in the yeah, Shade doesn't have Circus, them on. Uh, looks like. Yeah, yeah. Hot in the Shade. Revenge don't even have them on the cover. Those are just yeah. words. Neither does uh, Animalize. Those are the only ones that don't. No, I take that back. Uh, music from the Elder doesn't have them on the cover either. So we'll say all the bad albums don't have their paces on it? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to remember if I liked anything on Hot in the Shade. I didn't put anything in the um, in my list from that. Well, you didn't like the time. Michael Bolton song? Come on, Ryan. No, I didn't. Disappointed. I didn't like that. Yeah. Oh, sorry, wait till we wait till I make you do Michael Bolton for this uh, this show. <laughs> 1992 saw the album Revenge. Vinny was credited as a songwriter on this album. Uh, this was a leaner, harder-edged album. Unholy was released as the lead single. This one debuted in the top ten. Nineteen ninety three saw the uh, completing the uh, uh, the trilogy Alive Three. This album documented the Revenge Tour. Two days after this was released, they were inducted into the Rock Walk in Hollywood. Did they each get their own star? Or probably one star for all four of them, right? I think it's one star for all four under the name Kiss. But then I think that yeah. Gene Simmons has gotten his own subsequently. Oh, interesting. Okay, maybe. Don't uh, quote me on that, but that's 
It's certainly possible. Yeah, that seems to be something that would have happened. 1995, KISS went on the KISS convention tour. It was an all-day event with exhibits, vendors, tribute bands, and more. I think this is where the world was introduced to the uh, the Little People cover band, of tri- the tribute band of KISS, made entirely yeah, little, little People. Little KISS. Yeah, yeah little they Kiss. have the- they're still performing in Vegas, uh, Little Kiss. Actually, there's Little Kiss and Mini Kiss. There were two competing wow. um, Little piece, little People um, uh, Kiss cover bands for a while. I didn't know the world had room for that. Vegas certainly does. <laughs> <laughs> in 1996, Kiss Unplugged uh, was released. Ace and Chris were joined, or joined the band for a couple of songs during this show. And this started the speculation of a reunion of the original lineup. And by the way, this is actually a really good album. This Unplugged is great. Yeah. To give that a listen. I, I that didn't come up in my studio album run through, but I well, thought it's it was, not a studio album. That, that's why it's not a studio. Well, album, I mean, it's a. Well, that's what I'm saying. It didn't yeah. come up in my studio album, but it's. it's I, I would recommend it. It's it's really pretty good. Uh, in 1996, they also released a another live album that uh, takes its name from the way that they open their shows. You wanted the best, you got the best. Uh, a live album. 1997 saw the release of Carnival of Souls, the final sessions. This album was completed in February of 1996, but release was held for almost two years. Yeah, the, the bootlegs of this album were pressed among fans, which is really kind of impressive that it was leaked long before the internet really was super leaky. And then mm-hmm. bootlegs were made so that fans had it. It was kind of like Chinese democracy leaked and that was put out mm. kind of unofficially through bootleg channels before it was released. Before official release. At the uh, 38th Grammys, Tupac introduced the original lineup in Love Gun era costumes and makeup. And Jungle was the only single released from this album. Nineteen ninety-eight saw the release of Psycho Circus. Uh, this featured the full original lineup. All right, so here's the story. I, t- I mentioned this. I hinted at this when I was in town with you. I was working at the Salt Lake County Jail the night that this show, the Psycho Circus show, came to Salt Lake, mm-hmm. and this guy came in in full Gene Simmons makeup and attire: the platform oh, wow. boots with the teeth, the Ooh. little bun, the dragons like, on the shoulders, yes, the, yeah, whole, the, the yeah. whole kit and caboodle. I mean, he was tall. He actually could, could kind of pass as a Gene mm-hmm. Simmons look like. Uh, yeah. It was really amazing. However, he got released the next morning and he was walking out. The makeup had been washed off. He was holding his wig. And he was still wearing the outfit. <laughs> and it was way less cool looking in the morning when he was walking I'm out of the jail. Sure it was. Yeah, he's <laughs> looking, for a, looking for a taxi yeah. in this outfit. <laughs> Poor guy. Uh, Tommy Thayer played most of the album, or most of the guitars on this album. Drums were covered by a session musician named Kevin Valentine. The album reached number three on the charts, and the title track was nominated for Best Hard Rock Performance. In 1999, Kiss worked with the WCW to make a character for the wrestling show called, you guessed it, The Demon. 
uh, Kiss announced their first farewell tour, their first farewell <laughs> tour in 2000. 2001 saw the release of the box set. This was a 94-track collection uh, spread out over five discs. And in 2002, they played in the closing ceremonies of the Winter Olympics. Yep, here in Salt Lake City. That's cool. 2003 saw the release of Kiss Symphony, Alive 4. So back to the live, uh, live albums. This was recorded with the Melbourne Symphony. And then they went on tour with Aerosmith in 2003. And this is the tour that I saw them on with Aerosmith. And the only reason I got to go was because my brother-in-law gave me the ticket because he was with his wife for the birth of my niece. Gotcha. And it feels like this this would be a good bucket list band to see in concert. Oh, just I, because of the theatrics. They were nearing the end of their careers at this point, but they still put on a hell of a show. Thayer took on the Spaceman uh, mantle and Dinger took on the Catman makeup. 2006, Alive, the Millennium Concert. This was part of another farewell tour, was released. And then 2006 also saw the release of Paul's second solo album called Live to Win. The Kissology sets that came out in 2006 and 2007 were really well done. Yeah, I'm not a huge Kiss fan, but uh, I want these. And I actually was getting them for my brother-in-law as a gift when they'd come out. And I don't know if he still has them or not, but of the things that Kiss has put out, I think this is the this is the set that I would like to have, but they're hard to find now. Yeah, I bought the, uh, I bought the oh yeah, I never mind. I mentioned the action figures. I'm trying to think if I've bought anything else Kiss-related. It's funny how my... My fandom started and stopped with those action figures. <laughs> and and understandable. I mean, I am sure that there are a lot of people who kind of fall into that early 70s kid falling in love with Kiss. Yeah. And yeah. then as you age, your music tastes change a little bit and you yep. discover new things and you you change. But sometimes the music didn't. And sure. it, it's hard to kind of keep up with everything. And I think for me and for you, I can say that Kiss didn't hold the same enthrallment that other bands did and we moved on to other things that's true yep and that's fine and yeah. that's just fine i was all about kiss in 79 I, I i i i don't know if i dressed up as one for halloween but i know plenty of kids who did that year yeah i could see that let's see kiss was eligible for the rock and roll hall of fame but wasn't nominated until 2009 and not inducted until 2014 in 2009, they released Sonic Boom. This included a CD of new material and a disc of re-recorded Kiss hits. This album debuted at number two. 2010 saw the release of Sonic Boom Live, a, another farewell tour recording. And then 2016, Kiss Rocks Vegas, another recording of yet another farewell tour. And their most recent uh, album release, 2012's Monster, Hell or Hallelujah, was the single released ahead of the release of the album. And then uh, The Devil and Me is a great song, but I wouldn't have guessed that it was Kiss if I had heard it outside of listening to their music this week. But I did really like that one. Uh, as far as post-2016, they are still farewell touring. It's true. They were just it here. They were just here not that long ago. 
<laughs> it's like the Eagles who are on their seventh or eighth farewell tour. And as the Rolling well. Stones have been on a farewell tour right. since like the early 2000s. Uh, Hammond, tell me some statistics and general notes for the band Kiss. All right. So in 2021 and 2022, a, a soundboard, a collection of soundboard recordings was released. I'm a little interested in it's kind of cool to have soundboard recordings because that means they probably didn't tinker much with them before they put mm, them out. Yeah. Right. Uh, Metallica has been doing that with their live shows. They release official bootlegs from their website. So if you were at the show, mm. you can, you know, purchase a copy of the show, or if you missed it, you can grab, grab it for relatively inexpensive from their website, both digitally or on CD. They have 14 compilation albums and eight box sets. Mm-hmm. They were featured as a band in three movies, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park, Detroit Rock City, and Scooby-Doo and Kiss, A Rock and Roll Mystery. <laughs> I've seen uh, Detroit Rock City. That's actually a really good movie about some kids who travel across the country to uh, to see a Kiss concert. And here's the here's what te- here's how, how people define the two of us. I've seen the other two. Oh, really? Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's quick, really quick funny. piece of trivia, though. At the end of Bill and Ted... Uh, Bogus Journey, the second one. <laughs> yeah. When Bill and Ted fight the robots yes. at the end of the movie, that is a direct homage to when Kiss fights the robot robots on stage in the Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Amusement Park. Oh, really? Is Do they have like evil robot versions of Kiss? Yes. That they're fighting? Uh-huh. And they have lights like laser swords, but not lightsabers because that's a trademark thing. Of course. And right. there's oh laser God. beams and all kinds of things flying around as they fight these soldiers. Or these robots. I need to see that thing again. I, I I just need to sit down and watch it again. Oh my god! Yeah, it's 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 the height of it's the height. It, it's the more you watch it, the more you need to remind yourself that Hanna Barbera made it. Yeah. Right. Right. Oh my the, god. That's that's probably the best framework to kind of go into it is knowing that the people who did cartoons, mm-hmm. the Jetsons and the Flintstones made this. Oh, <laughs> uh, their first comic book appearance was on Howard the Duck number twelve, and I can't think of a more fitting place. Howard the Duck, you know, always if you think of Howard the Duck only from the movie, that horrible movie with Tim Robbins, uh, George Lucas directed mm-hmm. movie. Let yep. me let me with add Leah Thompson. Leah Thompson, yeah. The actual comic book, the actual Howard the Duck comic book, far more avant-garde and far more creative, in my opinion. Like, really, really cool. and Really went some great places. That's why I was really happy to see, you know, Howard the Duck appear on in the MCU in the background of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies because I thought, all right, well, maybe they'll, maybe they'll finally do Howard the Duck right. And they kind of have with him, you know, smoking a cigar and playing poker and stuff like that because the... The Howard the Duck was just basically like a Sam Spade type character, just lived on a planet where everyone looked like a duck. So um, is he yeah. in the same universe that Spider-Ham is in then? Because that's also Mm-mm. kind of, okay. Just, nope. I guess that's a yeah, planet no, the, pigs. So I guess that's it's true. It's uh yeah. And the Spider-Ham thing, you, that was a whole like animal Avengers thing where he had like a, a metal uh, Colossus looking dude. I'm trying to remember like the whole, spectacular Spider-Ham team up, but there was um, like a whole team behind um, uh, Spider-Ham. Months after the Power of the Duck thing, Marvel put out the the Kiss, like a a whole comic book dedicated to Kiss, the Marvel uh, Super Special. And that's the one they mixed their blood in with the ink, right? That's exactly. Blood from each band member was uh, drawn by a registered nurse, witnessed by a notary public, and poured into the vats of red ink. Used for printing the comic. So that's weird. 
Yes, it's, it's a the great only pl- Tommy a, that came with uh, hepatitis. I was going to say it's a great publicity stunt. I mean, I just hope the kids didn't lick the red ink on that one because they come away yeah. with all kinds of things. Who knows? Yeah, who knows what? Uh, all right, let's talk about uh, seeing how uh, seeing Howard the Duck, seeing Kiss in concert. Maybe I'd like to see Howard the Duck in concert too. You go and you see Kiss in concert. What song are they guaranteed to play? What is their stairway to heaven? Hammond, what are our choices? Uh, Detroit Rock City. Love Gun mm-hmm. and Shout uh-huh. It Out Loud. However, Rock and Roll All Night is probably the one I'm going to go with. It sure feels like it because that is the, that's both early on and. Um, I feel like they open every show with it, don't they? Uh, rock and Roll All Night, yes, number one, followed by Detroit Rock City, Love Gun, Black Diamond, Bass Solo, Shout It Out Loud, Cold Gin, I Love It Loud. Can't really call bass solo and guitar solo songs. <laughs> no, but they are frequently played. Those That bass They're, solo, the bass solo lasts a long time. It does. It's, they, it's a significant piece of music. Uh, sure. Is He's, it always, it's not always the same though. No, but he, it's. I bet it's more the same now than it used to be, but oh, he, fly, sure. he flies, he spits blood during it. Sure. Uh, I'm sure it's relatively choreographed and timed at this point. So it's just funny that it's listed. It shouldn't be listed as a separate song. True. Because it's not like you can say, oh, I want to go listen to the album that bass solo comes from. <laughs> That's very true. Down Out Loud, Cold Gin, I Love It Loud, Lick It Up. Deuce and God of Thunder round out the top 10 if you take out bass solo and guitar solo. Cover-wise, uh, New York Groove, which is the the song that uh, Ace Freely did on his solo album, which is actually a cover of Russ Ballard, God Gave Rock and Roll to You, which I just now realized is an Argent cover. I thought that was a Kiss original. Honestly, I thought it was a joke when I first heard it. <laughs> tell tell, tell that story. Go full, <laughs> go full on with that because now you have all the information, so... <laughs> yes. Yeah, we're we're listening to the albums and um whichever track uh, whichever album it came from God Gave Rock and Roll comes on and I'm like, "Oh, this is the song from Bill and Ted." And it's like, but it's not like a bonus track on the album like like hey, here's, you know, here's a little novelty thing that that <laughs> we wrote for Bill and Ted. No, it's this it surprised me that this was a genuine song just because it's such a funny title and and lyrics. God gave rock and roll to you. Because it, it, it fits the majesty of rock. I mean, it is a Spinal Tap song. It is a Spinal Tap thing, for yeah. sure. Like, you could hear Spinal Tap doing a song called God gave rock and roll to you. Yeah. But I didn't realize until just now that it was a uh, a cover of Argent. That's kind of cool. They also do a cover of Bone Get Fooled Again. The the setlist.fm, by the way, um, lists 2,900 setlist songs. These guys have toured a lot. Yeah. Well, when you um, built your reputation as a touring band and yeah. really, I know so many people who were convinced by the live albums. Like mm-hmm. there are so many books and autobiogra- autobiogra- autobiographies by musicians that say I became a drummer. Or I became a guitar player. I wanted to become a bass player because of Kiss Alive 2. Sure. I can't, it's innumerable books that I've read that start with that. So their reputation is being a live band. And I think that the, the, the studio albums are almost like just secondary to the live shows. 
I think so. I mean, that is the thing. You, you know, Kiss is a band to see live. And you look down their list of the years that they've been on tour, all the way from 73 all the way to 2023. And aside from a couple of years, really just a couple, 1989, 1991, where they didn't tour at all, most of the other years have at least 30 dates and some of them go as high. What does your pandemic look like? Oh, that's a really good question. 23 performances in 2020, 40 performances in 2021, 80 in 2022. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's impressive. How did they tour in 2021? I'm curious. Like, what uh, were they live? I mean, were they, um, like, you know, Zoom concerts or I have something? No idea. Or, I have no hmm. idea. Um, that is really interesting, actually. I think we can look at their concert map for 2021. Just uh, in 2021, just the U.S. and Alaska. No, no other countries. But they toured. I mean, obviously, Alaska is part of the U.S. I'm just saying that yeah. they're, the they didn't just stay in the continental yeah. United States. They did fly out to Alaska to tour. Very good. So, uh, yeah, rock and roll night. All right, let's talk about covers and who we would like to hear them do covers of. Uh, I'll go first. This... Uh, since I think of them as a 70s glam metal, glam rock band, they're not really metal. They 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 went into heavy metal in later years. But I'm going to have them record or uh, do a cover of Ballroom Blitz by Sweet. This one is, uh, it's a hard rocker. It's the open track from Desolation Boulevard, the Sweet album. And I feel like this... This would be right in their wheelhouse. They can change the names at the beginning. So it's, you know, are you ready, Gene? Uh, Peter? Ace? All right, <laughs> let's go, fellas. Da -da 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 -da. And it's just got a good mix where you can get back and forth between Gene and Paul because they do the two vocals, the two separate vocals in the uh, sweet original. And I think it'd be like right in their wheelhouse from covering a glamier rock band. <laughs> yeah, that's a good pick. How about you? What you got? All right. So I picked, I stuck kind of in the same, like uh, the 80s era of music because I picked uh, Let's Go All the Way by Sly Fox. And I think there's a really interesting way they could use the harmonies, but mostly I see this being a, com a complete crowd sing-along crowd pleaser. And I think it'd oh, sure. be really, really fun to hear with the stomping and the kind of the chanting lyrics. It, it, I think it could be incredibly well done by them. And it, and it fits their uh, lyric, the, the, the areas that their lyrics tend to, to stay, which is, uh, uh, you know, let's go mess around kind of stuff. Yeah. So. It's, a, it's a great song though. I love that song. I think, I do too. The Insane Clown Posse did a cover of it. And then yeah. there's another band I know that covered it too, but. Uh, it's not one that's covered often. So it's also something that would just yeah. be nice because it's not, you don't hear it very often. And I always look, it's, it's like that, uh, it's like that moment in I'm all right by, oh my God, why am I blanking this? And Kenny Loggins, where he does the, I'm all, boom, 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 I'm all uh -huh. right. Yep. They've got one in, uh, let's go all the way with the, oh, let's go all the way. Yep. Yep. That, that moment in the song that kind of breaks, breaks what you've been hearing. All right, let's get to our playlists. This is where we pick a few songs that you could couple with their greatest hits albums and have yourself a, a really uh, good, deep experience, listening experience. 
I'm starting with a cover that uh, that actually took me by surprise when I heard it. And it was the first song through the listen through my first time where I said, ooh, I like this. It's a song called 2000 Man from the Dynasty album. It's a cover, and it might be, like I said, the best one that I think they did. Ace takes the vocal uh, role on this one, and it's Rolling Stones original that um, uh, that the band covers, and, and I just really like the style of it. Uh, number two, we're going to the very first album, the very, very last track of the first album, Black Diamond. Black Diamond. I went back for this track based on a suggestion from my uncle, who's who was a Kiss fan, and said was surprised when I said how much I didn't like their stuff. And he said, "All right, I want you to go back to a couple albums, listen to a few tracks." And he made me go back to the first album, listen to this one. So I'm glad I did. This could have easily been the direction that they ended up on. This this um, this this the way this track goes because it's kind of a straightforward, almost um, mountain like uh, the the band Mountain direction. Mississippi Queen kind of barn stomper kind of thing, yeah. Opposed to the glam direction that they went, but, but the uh, pyrotechnics never would have worked in a barn because they would have burned it down every time. The, the it's you know you're making the joke, but I'm agreeing with you that it, this song would not have worked with all that all yeah. the for a long period of time. This musical direction wouldn't have worked with the costumes and the yeah. makeup. And mm-hmm. Totally agree with you. Uh, next one is Hotter Than Hell from the album with the same name. This thing is so full of riffs um, and uh, the lyrics change things up. They don't get the hot chick in this song because she's married. Oh my gosh, twist ending. She's wearing a wedding ring. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> but did it stop them? Uh, st- didn't stop them from trying. Yeah. I think is the, yeah. the lyrics imply. Uh, Flaming Youth from the Destroyer album. This was another album George said, go back and listen to Destroyer again. So I did. And I like this one, Flaming Youth. And and part of it, I think, is because you know, the lyrics say, Flaming Youth are going to set the world on fire. And if I think about those lyrics literally, it just kind of cracks me up like these, ah, running around you know, <laughs> on fire. And, and they're literally setting the world on fire. This last one I stumbled on, and I am so glad I did. When I was looking through the band's albums, I went down to their EPs and compilations and found something called Yume no Ukiyo ni Santeima an album or an EP that they recorded with a J-pop band called Mamorio, no, Mamoy, Mamoiro Clover Z and a song called Samurai Sun. Come on, come on. 
there's a couple different versions of this song on the album and a couple different versions of, um, no, one version of uh, I Was Made for Loving You, I think. And uh, But this is like a J-pop band bringing in Kiss to do vocals for a song called Samurai Sun. And for whatever reason, I feel like this is the uh, the secret ingredient that Kiss should have added for, you know, with the Iron Chef's assistance for the stuff they should have done after their concept album. Because if this would have been their direction, I would have been all over Kiss. Because <laughs> I love the, the, the vocals, Gene's vocals and Paul's vocals over... Uh, uh, over a J-pop arrangement. I don't typically like Paul's vocals. So so this actually says something. So my first song is going to be Cold Gin from their first album. This has a bluesy, almost ACDC type tone. And of their older stuff that isn't a hit, this is one of my favorites because of the bluesy nature of it. And again, this is a direction they could have gone, but they didn't. And part of me wishes they'd done more of this and less of other things. Uh, my second my second one is God of Thunder from Destroyer. Gene's not the best singer, but this song was built for him and it totally works. Then I pick then I pick the oath from Songs from the Elder. Now here's the deal. I said it before. This isn't a great, great Kiss album. However, there is a good album in here. Part of the problem was when it was released, the record label screwed up the album order and made it harder for the people to follow the story. Oh, really? Oh, God. Which is like, you know, if you're going to do a concept album, like a key to that is the the order that uh, the songs come up in. Oh, yeah. that's a, what a, what a misstep. Jeez. Yeah. So... That's kind of the, that's part of the problem. Part of the problem is Kiss doing a concept album, but the other part was the record label not helping him at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my fourth one is While the City Sleeps. stuff really let Paul stand out. He got to embrace the big hair, kind of very pretty frontman kind of thing. And this time period was really good for Paul because it let him kind of step out as a frontman and not just a uh, made-up member of the band. And then uh, Psycho Circus...
I'm not ashamed to admit that I really like this album. I I do. Uh, front to back, I kind of like it. And this, the title track really kind of gives you a taste of what you're in for. And it, it's, a, it's a throwback to more of the classic Kiss sound and Kiss feel because they're back in makeup again. And, you know, it it just it kind of warms the cockles of my heart. <laughs> Very good. Oh, that's a, that's a good set. So how... How do we feel finishing Kiss now? Where do you stand on Kiss? Um, so initially, and, and I kind of still feel this way, that one of the first things I told you is that I couldn't believe it, but this is the first time in the history of soundography that I like a band less after listening to their library front to back than I did going in. And it's because I, you know, I was familiar with the hits. I was familiar with Beth and, and Rock and Roll All Night and I Was Made for Loving You and Detroit Rock City and Strutter, and et cetera, et cetera. And I really liked those songs. And going from the very beginning, it was almost like they're not served well by the process of listening to all their songs one right after another. It just isn't, it doesn't benefit them for, from a listening point of view, I think. Uh, they're, they're, they're better maybe in, I don't want to say they're better in smaller batches, but maybe just not one album right after another is, is a, a better way to listen to Kiss. Going back and listening to a couple albums and especially listening to the live Kiss Alive 1 and Alive 2, I'd say that's the, that is the key. Listen to the band live, especially if you can watch some of their concert videos, because that is the way that Kiss is meant to be appreciated as, as a live band, heard and viewed. Um, heard or viewed. There may be a few songs here and there that I go back and listen to that I, you know, I like putting stuff in my playlists from bands we cover here on Soundography, and and there'll definitely be a few of those. This this J-pop song is definitely going to be one of them. <laughs> um, I don't know how much beyond that, but but I will say that uh, you know this has been an up and down week for me as far as Kiss. How about you? Uh, so I was not the biggest Kiss fan. I think I was a bigger Kiss fan going in than you. Because mm-hmm. sure. I, I, I mean, I own the amusement park movie, so that alone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Coming into it, I was probably a bigger Kiss fan than you. But the main thing that you kind of hit on is that listening to them back to back to back to back to back actually does them a disservice because the shortcomings of the music really show up quickly. Mm-hmm. The shortcoming mm-hmm. in lyric writing, the shortcoming in even ver- variety album to album, song to song, really starts to kind of hit. Yeah, And without the time in between and without the live experiences to kind of buffer and make us grow nostalgic to hear it again or hear new stuff and that same thing again, I think it really does kind of taint the listening experience. It'll be a long time before I go back and listen to a lot of Kiss at all, just because this was a lot of Kiss all at once. Mm -hmm. And I'm really glad we're not covering like Art of Noise or Prince with their songs Kiss (laughs) because I would, I'd probably skip them. But <laughs> <laughs> just just the word because you haven't yeah. kissed your wife yeah, uh, all exactly. week because yeah. of this, yeah. this, mm-hmm. this band. Yeah. <laughs> so it, I just I, I think that it I think the shortcomings were made readily clear in mm-hmm. with the way we have to do things for the show. Yeah. Kiss was made for small listening batches, not all done in one big week. <laughs> yeah. And I'll be honest, I think Kiss and Primus both fit that. Bill, I, I can't listen to more yeah. than a couple of Primus songs in a row now. Yeah. Yep. And by the way, I promise never to sing on this show again. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm not going to make that promise, no, but I'm not going to do parody. Not going to do parody songs. I'll, you know, sing when I'm trying to 
describe a uh, a song or a band. Uh, I might throw something in, but you're not going to write uh, intro songs for intros? this show. No, no. One you what you don't podcast love me. You don't love me. You're just going to save that not for as your much real as friends. I love, uh, not as much as I love Randy Jordan. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, that is going to do it for this edition of Soundography. Uh, Hammond, who are we doing next week? We are covering the band Three Eleven next week. And nice. it's uh, it's a far cry different than than Kiss, for sure. And if you add the numbers three and eleven, you get the number of albums that Three Eleven has so far. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll be a little bit shorter. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, please email us soundographypodcast at gmail Follow us on Twitter at the Soundography or on Threads or and on Threads. Uh, we now have the Soundography on Threads and uh, Instagram, of course, because you get them as a as a package. Uh, our website is soundography.com. Check out our playlist. You can find that uh, on the show notes, in the show notes of every episode. Uh, we link those to our Spotify playlist that contains all the songs that we like. Uh, you'll also find links to where you can buy the albums. Of course, I'll link to Destroyer, the right, the, the correct version of Destroyer. Yeah. And uh, support us on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash soundography. Get some great stuff, both digitally and uh, in the mail. And uh, we really, really appreciate the support. I, you I hear there's a, a Brian poker chip coming soon. There is. It's in the works. In the works of poker chips. And so we've got some big, your... we've got some big plans for our season 10 ideas. So stay tuned. We do. Yes. Stick around for that. Oh, some exciting stuff came out of this uh, last weekend. Uh, finally, if you love our show, leave a review somewhere where people can find it. Uh, your podcast uh, app of choice. Uh, it helps people discover soundography and, and some uh, new podcasts that they might enjoy. Uh, anything to close this out, Hammond? Well, I, I was just thinking of the last weekend when I was there and we saw the show that there's actually now potential for us to cover Devin Townsend Animals as Leaders at some point. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We could add those to uh, future seasons for I, sure. I mean, I skipped the one, Ben, but. Because <laughs> that is the running joke. Yeah. Yes, for sure. <laughs> uh, love it. Well, on behalf of Hammond Chamberlain, this is Brian Abbott saying thanks for listening. We'll see you next time right here on Soundography. <laughs>